Um, it's my privilege to preach this morning, and um, I really trust that you're going to be encouraged. I'd like to start this morning with a little picture of a favorite character of mine. Who knows who this is? Anyone know? Come on now, you're not all that, you must have seen a movie in your life. This is Heimlich. Do you not know Heimlich from Bug's Life? This was um, the, first, the first movie that I took Matthew to see. And I always remember because he was just about three or whatever. And um, it's actually quite a scary movie, Bugs Life. The locusts are quite scary. And, and he ended up being quite afraid of the locusts. So we had to, we had to tell him. But uh, th- this was my favorite character out of the, the movie. And, and Heimlich is this fat caterpillar who's got this misplaced, misplaced confidence that he's actually a beautiful butterfly. And he, 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 um, he's determined that he's... Uh, He's going to be this beautiful butterfly. And right at the end of the movie, his little wings pop up on his back, and he thinks he can fly, and it's very funny. And uh, it's a picture that I like to hold in our minds this morning as I just talk about a very simple thing um, this morning, and I, and I hope it encourages you. We are, we are hurtling towards the end of 2016, right? And uh, as we already are, have said, we soon will be into our festivities and everything that we've planned for the end of the year. But I, I just want to ask you, and this is not a, a right and wrong thing, uh, if you could choose two words to describe 2016, what would they be? Anyone? Amazing? Okay. Sorry? Sweet 16? Okay. Yes. Any others? Shocking. Yes. Any others? Challenging, okay. And anything else? Fast. Same. <laughs> That's more than one word, right? It's three words. Okay, so, I mean, there's a, a variety of answers in the room, but um, for me, I would choose words like this unexpected, surprising. And I say that in the light of uh, Brexit and the American election, I don't think any pundit, any journalist got it right. And most ordinary people, and certainly the pollsters, didn't really foresee what was going to happen in 2016. And uh, surprising too for me, uh, I had to say goodbye to some really dear friends this last couple of weeks in the most unexpected way. One being Donna and another being a friend of ours called Adrian who helped us plant this church and passed away very, very unexpectedly. So it certainly has been a surprising year. It's been an unexpected year. I could also say that 2016 has been for me a a year of continued learning. Um, I've continued to learn much about myself, some things that I'm I'm not proud of, and other things that are good, that God has been showing me in my own life, and He's continued to demonstrate His faithfulness to us in an obvious way. And I want to say as a church family, We've continued to experience God's love, His grace, His kindness, His provision. All these things are absolutely wonderful. His faithfulness, His mercy, and uh, we rejoice in all those things. And I, th- I think it's important to celebrate as we, we come to the end of the year. It's, uh, it's important to th- be thankful for every single phone call, every single meal, every single person that's encouraged us. Uh, that's the practical evidence of God's grace in our lives demonstrated through His people. It's absolutely wonderful that we can celebrate together every good thing that God has done for us and through others into our lives. Um, And remember, Jesus said, if you've done these things for the least of them, you've done them for me. And so I celebrate all of of those things together with you. But the the reason that I have this picture of Heimlich up here 
is simply to ask you this question. On what basis are you confident for 2017? What basis are you confident for 2017? Are you looking forward to the year? Well, I certainly hope there's some optimism in all of us as we face the future. Uh, are you anticipating God's blessing in your life? Um, I trust that you are. I hope that you are. And uh, I think sometimes, sadly, the key is that people want God's blessing in a specific way. And when they don't see the specific way of that blessing that they're expecting, um, they think God hasn't blessed them. But sometimes God blesses us in the most unexpected ways, in ways that we're not looking for. But ultimately, I want to assert this morning that our confidence for 2017 shouldn't really be in God's blessing in our lives. Uh, are you perhaps a little bit nervous of 2017? <laughs> uh, perhaps as we look at the world, we, we should be a little bit apprehensive of what is actually happening right now. And if you are feeling a little bit nervous of 2017, I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes into the full and beautiful face of Jesus. Uh, that we would see the world with glasses half full and not glasses half empty. We've much to be grateful for and celebrate, but ultimately, where are we getting our confidence from? Um, I have to say this since uh, Dean and Tamar in the room. Welcome. Great to have you. Perhaps this is the year that you're finally expecting if you're going to meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. It's going to be the year that all your relational desires come into alignment and you feel fulfilled and, and uh, all of those wonderful things that relationships can bring. But ultimately, I put to you that if our confidence is in our relationships, perhaps that's also a mis misplaced confidence. Perhaps you are hopeful that this 2017 will be the year that your business breaks through. Yay, come on. And yet when I look at the economy, there's much uncertainty, isn't there? The autumn figures that the Chancellor has just put out weren't particularly encouraging. Uh, the stock market, all we know, it's going to go up and it's going to go down. That's basically what we know, don't we? The stock markets go up and they go down. And so I put it to you this morning that perhaps... I am hoping that it's going to be a good year for business and there is going to be some growth and some encouragement for all of us in terms of our labor, but perhaps our confidence shouldn't be in the stock market and the Chancellor's report. Uh, perhaps at the end of this year, you, like many of us, are going to set yourself some goals, um, things that you'd like to achieve, which are wonderful, that we have focus for the new year. Um, that you're going to do some things, exercise more, watch less television, all these good things that we resolve to do. Uh, I, I do like uh, social media, and uh, Mike Pilavachi is always a, a good for a laugh, and I saw he said this once, and I've probably quoted it before. Uh, it was this little tweet said, Lord, my prayer for this year is for a thin body and a fat bank, fat ba fat bank account. Please don't mix these up like you did last year. <laughs> Anyway, it's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, so there are some wonderful things we can laugh at as we end this year. But uh, what I'm trying to get us to look at and to understand and see as I say these things, do you notice that all of these things that I've said this morning, they all start with me? Did you notice that? It's what I would like, what's going to make my year better. 
what I'd like God to do for me so they can be good here for me. And I would just like to say right up at the beginning, perhaps that's the wrong place to start. Perhaps I put it to you this morning, maybe our starting point for 2017 as we end 2016 is not, God, what I want you to do for me, but perhaps, God, what is it that you want me to do for you? I love the scripture, and you probably know it well. Micah 6 verse 8 says this, What does the Lord require of me but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him? I love that scripture. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, walk with love and mercy, and to walk humbly with him? And so I want to just uh, remind you that we might make promises and pledges to ourselves and to others which uh, are good things to save more to exercise more to spend less on the internet and more time with our family and all of us have these wonderful intentions that uh, we try to move into but the truth is that after over a very short period of time our old habits begin to take over more frequently and then all the time and basically we are back to square one with our resolutions. And so, what does the Lord desire of me? I think is the most profound question we could ask at the end of this year. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. Uh, do you notice all those things have, imp- I would say they, they are to do with soul improvement rather than self-improvement? Do you notice that? There's something internal that needs to change as we look to the new year. And the brilliant part of the gospel for me is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can walk humbly with God. We can love mercy. We can do what is right simply because we don't have to depend on ourselves to do that. We don't have to depend on our own strength. And I love the contributions that came through the worship this morning. None of these people knew what I was going to preach. For, oh, you foolish Galatians, you who started in the Spirit, will you now continue to try and achieve these things by your own effort? No, let's continue to walk by the Spirit. God has done all that we need in Christ to strengthen us with power in our innermost being. Isn't that what Ephesians 3.16 says? So I want to encourage you this morning, as best as I can, out of the joy and the freedom of the gospel, we are saved by grace. We know all of these things that we can joyfully walk by the Holy Spirit as He leads us uh, in this great adventure of our lives into 2017. And if we're going to resolve anything this year, Uh, 2017, can I suggest that perhaps we should resolve to be more Christ-like in every area of our lives? Perhaps that's the best resolution that we can make. Holy Spirit, help me to be more and more like Jesus for 2017. And you see, I think that's really what Jesus taught. And and you know uh, the Sermon on the Mount well. And Jesus said it like this. He, He really could have said the same thing as Micah, but he put it in another language. He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He's saying the same thing. It's just another way of saying what Micah said. And so I want to focus a little bit on, on unpacking what that, what that means. And I think that if we know that we are poor in spirits, if we have that revelation, that reality, we will be those that are able to walk humbly with our God. And I think those things are not a contradiction 
And I think that's the key for a, a blessed life, a happy life, not just a happy 2017. God's promise to us is that we will be blessed, and the, and the translation there literally is happy. Happy are you that mourn. Happy are you that know that you are poor, for you will see the kingdom. It's literally translated happy. And I want to know that kind of blessing. I want to know that kind of happiness in my life, and I'm sure that you do. And so when I use these words of Jesus, I, I trust immediately in your, in your brain, in your, in your mind. You're not, you're not thinking uh, morbid in, introspection. You're not thinking, uh, focusing on your sinfulness. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a constant negative self-talk that is bad for your mental health. You know, um, I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is a total humility and dependence on God for your future. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? So I'm not saying when we use those words that we get all introverted and morbid. and uh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying what we'd focus on is our absolute dependence and need of the Holy Spirit and Jesus in our lives. Amen? Is that clear? I love Psalm 123, which I read in my devotions this week. It says, Behold... As the eyes of the servant look on the hands of his master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Isn't that a wonderful picture? That kind of total dependence on him, knowing that he is the source of all our need and, all our, and can supply everything that we need and desire. And so I'd like to maybe just uh, start in an unusual place maybe this morning to say this. Uh, I've heard this question asked many times by people who object to Christianity. And they, and they say something along these lines. Isn't Christianity a crutch for those that can't make it on their own? You know, people that really aren't successful, they've got this crutch. It's Christianity and helps them to get through life. And my answer to that question is simply this, one word. Yes, absolutely, definitely. So it's more than one word. And I want to ask you to help think through this this morning. I want to ask this question. What is bad about a crutch? Uh, I read an essay once which was exploring this idea of um, Christianity is a crutch, and that is considered a valid criticism of Christianity. You know, when, when crippled people look at a crutch, they, 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 they take a crutch, they don't say to themselves, that's a really bad thing. <laughs> Do they? No, it's a very useful thing that helps them walk. So why do people say that when they talk about Christianity that somehow a crutch becomes a bad thing when you're talking about Christianity? Well, I, I simply would answer in this way, uh, and this is the answer that, that most critics of Christianity would give. They would say it like this. If Christianity is a crutch, then it's only for good for cripples. And here's the rub. We don't like to see ourselves as cripples. We don't like to see ourselves as deficient in any way or lacking anything. And so it's offensive to our sense of self-sufficiency and self-worth to label Christianity a crutch. But I would remind you of what Jesus said in Luke, and sorry, in Mark chapter two, verse seventeen. He said, "It's only those." Um, he said, those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but only those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. In other words, it's only people who know that they need something from Jesus are going to get anything when they come to him. 
that's what it's saying. It's only those that are sick and know that they are sick, people that know that there is some kind of spiritual and moral deficiency in their life, that admit them to, that them to, to themselves, and then they come to Jesus that they get anything from Jesus. Those that are completely self-sufficient and say, I don't need anything from you, Lord Jesus. Well, guess what? They don't get anything from Jesus. And this is my point quite simply, that everybody has a gospel. Everyone has a message. Our world has its own creed. Everyone has a system that they live by, something that shapes their lives, even if they admit it or not. Uh, I, I always chuckle because, you know, agnosticism insists that you must believe very strongly that you ought not to believe anything very strongly. That's agnosticism. That's why it's really, really difficult to be agnostic because <laughs> you have to believe very strongly that you cannot really believe anything very strongly. But our world does have a creed. It does have a, a, a message, a, a worldview that shapes it. And... Um, this is what lies behind this criticism of Christianity being a crutch. It's the confidence that our world has that we can work it out, that we can have real joy and fulfillment in life simply in pursuing through self-confidence, self-determination, self-esteem, being masters of our own destiny. That's all we need to navigate through this life in a way that's going to be helpful. And so you can understand when you preach a gospel that uh, says there is a Messiah called Jesus and He insists that you replace all the reliance that you have on yourself and your gifting and your knowledge and your education and your background. You replace all of that with a simple submissive God confidence and a simple self-determination to live under the grace of God in your life. That kind of Messiah is going to be a threat to any religion, any creed that likes to admire itself and say, aren't I wonderful? And I put it to you, that's the religion of our world. Aren't I wonderful? All we need is more scientific advancement. All we need is more education. All we need is more freedom, and our world will be a better place. That's the gospel of our world. That's the message. That's the creed of our culture. We don't need anybody else or anything we can do it all ourselves. And so, I put it to you that the great heroes of the Bible were people that knew that they were poor in spirit. They were people that knew they needed Jesus. They were people that knew that they needed God. They were people that knew they could not do it on their own. What about Abraham? Genesis 18, he realizes after Sodom and Gomorrah that he is but dust and ashes and that he needs the Lord. What about Jacob in Genesis 32 when um, he comes back to the promised land after spending 20 years in exile? He wrestles with God in prayer and he comes out of all of that and he says, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy of your love and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. He realizes that he needs God in a desperate way. What about Moses? Uh, Exodus 3. When God comes and says, I want you to lead my people out of slavery. And he says, he says Lord, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I can't speak. Uh, I'm slow of speech. He realizes his own inadequacy. 
The reason that God is angry with him is not because of his assessment of himself, but because of his lack of faith in what God can do through him. That's what he's angry with. And he says to, to Moses, who made your mouth? Who, who makes people dumb, deaf, or helps them to see or, 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 or blindness? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with you, and I will teach you what to say. That's the answer. <laughs> That's the key for 2017. That's the key for the rest of our lives. The answer to, to, to um, a low sense of worth or being paralyzed by a sense of unworthiness is not to big yourself up. It's not to go and buy the latest sort of self-help book off the shelves. Uh, we have a new Waterstones where I live in um, Watford, and I went to the spiritual section the other day. There's two walls of self-help books. You want, you want to see the spirit of our age? There's two walls of self-help books. Positive thinking, best business practice, all this kind of stuff. There's one little column of, of religion, right? One little column, and right at the bottom, there's two little shelves of Christianity. That reflects how our world is beginning to think. All you need is positive thinking. All you need is some helps on how to big yourself up and all will be well with you. And actually, Jesus, the Scripture, any kind of faith, right at the bottom of the pile. You can take that if you notice it. And see, the paralysis of, of this kind of feeling of unworthiness is not like I'm saying to big yourself up, but... Uh, it's in Isaiah 41, verse 13, where, Jesus, uh, where God says to Isaiah, Fear not, through Isaiah, fear not, you worm Jacob. <laughs> fear not, Hamlet. I will help you, says the Lord. Your Redeemer, your Savior, the Holy One of Israel. You see, God's way of freeing us from this paralysis of not feeling good about ourselves or feeling insufficient and freeing them out of that is not to kind of convince us that we are not what we, we, we are beautiful butterflies when we're not really beautiful butterflies. Rather, God's way of liberating us from paralysis of, of lack of confidence is to say to us, I am with you. I am with you. Your Redeemer is with you. I will help you. I will tell you what to say. Will you not open your heart to me and your ear to me so my spirit can speak to you and I will tell you everything that you need for your life. You see, it's profoundly a different way of approaching things, isn't it? I love the example of William Carey, which I've probably shared before, but uh, you know him. He was um, an English Baptist missionary. He was uh, known as the father of modern missions and uh, he was one of the founders of of um, the Baptist Missionary Society. And uh, I read a, a little uh, bit about him, and he lived with a sense of his total dependency and need of God in the most profound way. And many things that happened in his life, um, he didn't blame the devil. He didn't blame other people. He, he rested in this knowledge of God's sovereign purpose and grace for his life. And he said things like this, how unsearchable are the ways of God that I might know them. Uh, on, on, his, um, 
on his uh, tablet on his grave. You can read it for yourself if you go to where he is um, buried in Semaphore in, in, in India. It simply says this, William Carey, born August 8, 17, 1761, died 9th of June, 1834, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm, but into your kind arms I fall. I love that. It's beautiful. The emphasis is not on the wretched, poor worm. The emphasis is on into your kind arms I fall. If only all of us could live like that. It doesn't matter what you feel about yourself, what you think about yourself, your insufficiencies, your lack of gifting. You don't need to big yourself up. All you need to do is fall into the kind arms of your Father who's there, who's going to take you into places you haven't dreamed of as you depend on Him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for to them belongs the kingdom of God. Many other people I could mention in the scripture that lived like that, that knew that. I could mention David. I could mention Solomon, Job, Isaiah, John the baptizer. What about uh, the tax collector? Who Jesus used such a wonderful example of someone that had the right heart. Remember? Tax collector. Can't even look into the face of Jesus. He stands far off. And he doesn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man and all of his house are justified. See, he knew he was poor in spirit. He knew that he needed Jesus. What about the centurion or the Canaanite woman? What about Peter? What about Paul? I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh. Paul, one of the greatest heroes of the faith. What about what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1? I'm the foremost of sinners, but I've received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Through me. God is showing his perfect patience. So how best can we face the future? How best can we face 2017? Well, I want to, I've been trying to say to you this morning, let this resound in our hearts and our minds, that we learn what it means to be poor in spirits. There's the sense of uh, powerlessness in ourselves, a sense of our own spiritual needs, not in an introverted way, but just apart from Jesus, we, have, we, we are in trouble. It's a sense of our personal lack before God without the grace of Jesus, without the grace of God. It's a sense as if there, if there, if there is to be any usefulness in our lives. It will have to be all through the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God, not in our own effort and our own dependence. And you see, I use this word, we need a sense of that. We need a sense of that in our lives because do you notice when Jesus says those words, he doesn't say everyone is going to be blessed in that way. Do you notice that? He, said, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You have to know that you are poor in spirit to enjoy this that God has for you. You have to know. You have to be aware that you desperately need him. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to get across this morning. Those that are blessed are those 
that know they are poor in spirit. And that's why it's so appropriate to take those two verses together. Blessed are those who mourn. And then that clarifies the first, doesn't it? For they will be comforted. Blessed are the people who feel keenly their own unworthiness or emptiness. And don't try and hide those things under being self-sufficient. But they're honest about them and simply say, God, those things drive me to your grace. And on your grace, I depend totally for my life. That's my prayer for this church. That's my prayer for 2017. That all of us, in a, more, a deeper and more meaningful way, will find the grace of God for our lives, will know the grace of God, and we will stand on the grace of God as the firm foundation of our lives. That's the only source of confidence we can have for the future. Why? Because we know everything else is uncertain except for God's sovereign grace, His sovereign purpose. And I'm convinced as we know the grace of God, it will hold us, it will keep us, we will be able to face the future without fear, we will be able to rest in His goodness and His kindness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Amen? And so we're going to come to God's table. And when we come to God's table, we actually are saying, Jesus, we celebrate everything that you have done for us. We celebrate your body broken. We celebrate your blood poured out. We celebrate our need of your gospel in our lives every single day. And this is what Jesus said we should do in remembrance of him. Simply eat and drink together, reminding ourselves of all that he's done reminding ourselves of our, our absolute need of Him on a daily basis. And that's why this, the Scripture uses words like, we live on the body of Christ. We eat and drink. Our sustenance comes from what Jesus has done. Not on our own efforts. Not on our own sense of our gifts or talents, as important as those are. But on Him, His goodness, His kindness, His grace. Amen.